0: Blob Talk Radio. <laughs> Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with a Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Tractor Supply, where we give away more chicken coops and chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Today is Thursday, July 10th, and I would like to thank all of you for tuning in this afternoon on Blog Talk Radio. This is a live radio show that is broadcast around the world. This radio show is all about keeping backyard poultry, show poultry, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit our website, chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tractor Supply long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. Proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit chickenfountain.com. That's chickenfountain.com. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer Seal of Approval and are Chicken Whisperer Approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coupe accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They're passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at UrbanCoopCompany.com. That's UrbanCoopCompany.com. Established in 1957, GQF has become the name to trust when it comes to quality products and superior customer service. GQF offers a wide range of poultry products, including incubators, brooders, feeders, waters, and much, much more. Give them a call at 912-236-0651 or visit them online at gqfradio.com. That's gqfradio.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We have a, another great show uh, for you today. We've got Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. He's joining us today and we're talking all about fermented food. Not necessarily for chickens, but that is a big uh kind of a, a big kick right now with uh feeding Ferment grains and, and food to chickens, but uh, I think today's show will lean more towards the process and uh, the benefits, and maybe for human consumption versus the chickens. But I guess the concept may be all the same. But we'll hear what Richard has to say here in just a few minutes. He has called in and is in caller queue. I want to remind everybody that uh, there is no Facebook. Coop Contest for the month of July but we are having one in Chicken Whisperer Magazine so you can go to our Facebook page we have posted it several times over the last uh, few days uh, on our Facebook page facebook.com forward slash the chicken whisperer and uh, you can subscribe to the free digital edition you can you know, sign up for a year subscription mail to your mailbox and you can uh, also enter the awesome uh, Coop Contest that we have with Urban Coop Company and uh, I think that contest i think you can enter through the end of july maybe the first of august but all the details are there on that link when you click that so we hope you'll take the opportunity to uh, get a chance to win a brand new chicken coop and that's going to be in the the magazine edition Um, we'll probably start up with more coop contests on our facebook page in uh in august so uh gotta love that and we appreciate everybody for participating We've had some great shows this week. Monday, Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, joined us with some great chicken advice for everyone. And then on yesterday, um, Tracy with Purple Lotus Oils came on and kind of did another introductory class of um, of using essential oils around the home and different ways we can utilize those. And it was kind of a, a universal kind of getting started with you essential oils so that was a very good show yesterday today again we'll follow up with that and uh, with the talking about fermented food and then uh, we'll take a break over the weekend but we will return Monday um, with Peter Brown also known as the chicken doctor and I just got Monday's um, topic from Peter and it looks like it's going to be hot and or cold Why won't you lay eggs, the science behind the birds that will not lay during the heat and or cold? And why is that so? So that will be on Mondays. Um, Ask the Chicken Doctor here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. So we've got some good shows lined up here uh, next week as well. So we thank you for joining us. So, without further delay, let's go ahead and give Richard Fruidenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine, a wonderful Chicken Whisperer welcome today. Oh, yeah. And we'll bring him on live now. Richard, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah,
1: th- thanks. Thanks again. We uh, we haven't spoken to each other in, in a little while, but
0: uh, yeah. we're
1: back here now, and uh, and. Uh, you know, the fermented foods is a topic that um, a lot of people probably aren't that familiar with, but they they ought to be because some of our most foods we eat every day or every you know every time uh, in the summer anyway is uh, are fermented. So
0: uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Now the first the first thing I think of about fermented food, and I may be totally off the wall, but is is sauerkraut? Isn't that fermented technically?
1: That's what I was referring to. It's probably the most common okay. commonly known fermented uh, food we have here in you know in america anyway and um and that's exactly right it's just fermented cabbage and um anybody who's made it before um you know old world style in the in the crock pot with a with a wooden a wooden uh, floating lid and a, a maybe uh you know a stone on the top and just listen to it bubble for weeks and weeks and 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 do its thing um that's basically it i mean the food is the food is um is basically uh transiting from fresh to uh you know to to being fermented, and and the uh, there's um, enzymes and bacteria and uh, and um, all sorts of other stuff going uh, going on to in that live culture to uh, to make it happen.
0: So yeah, <laughs> I, I know group. you're going to tell us about the history and, and, and that kind of thing, but it, it kind of makes me giggle a little bit. It's kind of like you have to really appreciate. The first person who ever ate the first chicken egg, you know, you see this 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 thing pop out of a chicken's butt, and you're thinking, I think I'm going to eat that. I mean, what what inspired that person to eat that egg out of that chicken's butt? And then and then now you're kind of like, oh no, I forgot the cabbage in the pot for three or four weeks. I, I think it's still good. Let's just eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so you just kind of wonder about that and uh, how you know, you're know basically taking perfectly good food and and and, and 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 fermenting it now, I guess, is the official name. And, and, and uh, there's, I guess there's a purpose for that, and many foods that we can do that too. And it's a big kick now. I see on a lot of the forums about doing it for chickens and chicken feed. But then again, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, it's been in the crop, It's been in this pot. I forgot about it, and it's been so many weeks. But yeah, it smells a little sour. But uh, I think I'll still eat it. <laughs> so that may be completely off off uh, the the realm um, as far as really what happened, but kind of kind of for me anyway. Um, I guess, kind of yogurt's the same thing. Well, we had some milk here, but now it's kind of gone bad. let's eat it, and call it yogurt. <laughs> All those things that I think about when I think about the different types of food that are out there, appreciating the first person who actually tried it, so uh thinking that something was a uh, it was a mistake, but now we're gonna eat it anyway and call it something fancy so
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm
0: saying
1: <laughs> oh exactly I, and I, I don't think you're too far off base i think I think in those <laughs> earliest days people, you know they didn't throw out food i mean it it i I'm sure it was a hunger driven thing i mean the cabbage was there yeah. uh it it was it was probably you know rotting but it wasn't it wasn't it was a it was a maybe a sour smell it wasn't so it wasn't putrid so um you know people might just taste of it but anyway i mean it may, it may have been desperate and realized that when you let it sit like that yeah. and get the enzymes and the yeast working and and all that because, you know, that's how, that's how it works. Um, it actually, uh, you know, helps, uh, preserve, preserve the food and actually keeps it edible for, you know, a lot longer than just, uh, if you didn't do anything to it. So that, that's basically the nature of, of the discussion today. Um, okay. you know, just about what, where they, where the foods came from a little bit and, um, and what, what we can use to ferment and why we'd want to ferment. And, um, yeah. the reason, uh, the reason I've it was because it was a, I've, I've seen a lot of. Um, I've done a few things myself. I'm not. I'm by no means an expert in fermented foods, but I've I've done a few things myself. But I I did read a couple of books, which I'll get into later. I, I've uh, looked into two books. One particular was called Wild Fermentation, and the, and the successor to that book was called uh, It's called The Art of Fermentation. And there's an individual named Sandor Katz who who has written both these books and has really become the the guru of fermented foods. Um, uh, you know at least in the new the new fermented food movement um but uh in looking at the wild fermentation which which is a book that came out probably in 2006 or so um I realized learn uh, you know realized and learned that um that almost anything can be prepared and fermented for you know for use uh, as a uh, as a storage mechanism a food storage mechanism and that's really essentially why foods were fermented in the first place
0: uh, the reason
1: I chose the topic for today is because uh, our, our uh, May-June issue a couple issues ago had um, had a really brief and um, concise article on, on fermented foods with just a couple of recipes and a very simple explanation because um, it really isn't that simple when you start looking into the science of it and the um, and the individual recipes and what foods are good and what foods are not as good and which what processes work best for certain things, and when you start getting really into it, it's like brewing beer. Um, you you can keep and stick with a simple recipe and be, be very happy, but uh, if you want to go further afield, uh, you're going to have to learn a lot more about why and where and how things happen. So this article in our in our issue number um, 130, which is May June. Uh, was done by a person who um, who's done a lot of workforce before and she's very very down to earth and lives a very simple lifestyle and she basically does it because they have uh, uh, they have um, they live in um, Vermont and they um, they practice very a very low impact lifestyle actually live in a yurt um, do not own a refrigerator um, keep things cool in, in the spring boxes ice ice. Ice uh-huh. chests and um, and uh, and by doing things like fermentation, which is a food you know food storage uh, uh, preparation means, and that's basically why 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 she did it. Um, they they feel and these these people are you know perfectly normal people, but they just have a strong feeling about energy consumption and and their impact on the planet, and uh, and they they feel they know a refrigerator, even a even a small one, uh, is one of the largest. Energy, energy absorbing or energy intensive appliances in the household, and it's funny, you know, you can ha- you can have a moderate sized refrigerator and use, you know, so many kilowatt hours a month, maybe you know, thirty dollars of power a month, and you can go down to a refrigerator one fifth the size, like one of those dorm refrigerators, and use yeah. more than thirty dollars a month <laughs> because they're not very efficient. So they they knew all oh, this, wow. and they knew that. Oh wow! You know, it's very it's very difficult to find a to find a reasonably priced refrigerator that that is um, that is uh, super efficient, the only ones available are medical ones they use in uh, in uh, out in the field like in uh, in uh, vaccine keeping vaccines cold in the middle of uh, Mali or you know Somalia or somewhere or you know down in the depths of South America where they don't have electricity in some of these really rural areas um, so what happens is they have solar power they have refrigerators very small and and so little energy consumptive that they can actually use a, a solar panel or two just to keep, the, keep them working.
0: So uh, you know they're Could basically I, a little. Can I understand that right? Because I hadn't heard that before. The um, a, a good, say, uh, five star, whatever it is, the energy efficient label, uh, full size refrigerator would actually use less energy than one of those small, the dorm
1: refrigerators. Exactly, and you can go into you can go into Home Depot, Lowe's, or wherever you shop for your for your appliances, and you can, if you took, took a few minutes, you can open. Now, I'm leaving out the real big refrigerator. I'm talking about a medium size, you know, somewhere between 19 yeah, and yeah. 25 cubic feet, maybe, or, you know, say about 20 cubic feet. You open the door and, and look, especially in the more efficient ones, if you get a green star type, uh, energy star type, you um, you look at the, there's a little yellow tag in there, it'll tell you what um, what the, what the energy consumption is per year average on that particular unit, and then it'll give you a, a bar graph or a, or a sliding graph which shows you how that particular unit compares with every other manufacturer's unit mm-hmm. of the same size uh, that is manufactured. So you can say, well, this one's right in the middle, or this one's one of the better ones, or this one's pushing to be one of the, one the not-so-good ones, but it's still the price is right for me, or it still doesn't use that much. So, um, so you can make a, an educated decision. But if you were to do that and take a refrigerator uh, and then a, a normal size 20 20-cubic-foot refrigerator and then and then go into the section of the store that has the dorm refrigerators and, and compare the size of the refrigerator, so one has maybe 19 or 20 cubic feet and the other may have, uh, you know, 1.6 or 2.8 or whatever, and that'll use more energy or almost as much energy as the big one. So you're getting a really bad return on your investment. Um, I was given. I use the refrigerator, the little one, for my eggs. That's all that's in there is eggs. So, so I, uh, you know, I I have made a decision that that's going to be the egg. I, I turn the the, the thermostat up a little bit because the eggs don't really have to be as cold as as the regular refrigerator, uh, at least where I where I have it. Sure. So, uh, so that's yeah you know, works out. It doesn't use it all that much for me, and the refrigerator that I own, the real one, the big one, is is uh, not all not all that big, and it's also Fairly efficient, so I don't feel I don't feel like I've created uh, a problem with energy consumption. But um, that's one little tidbit, um, and they feel that um, they feel that the refrigerator in general is just too too much energy, and they don't have really have room for it in the kitchen part of their house. They also cook a lot of. They have an out a very nice outdoor kitchen that they use a long, you know, a good period of the year. So you know, especially in the summer months. So uh, so that um, that takes away some of the uh, uh, the need to have to have a lot of cooking done in the house, so they're they're a little a little different folks. But but she wrote a real good article for us. So uh, you know she points out that that um, this is one of the ways they use. They've been living without a refrigerator for four years, and in that four-year term, they have they have been using fermented mainly beverages and things like sauerkraut and stuff like that. But but uh, they've been they've been creating and and storing because um, it, it, it stores longer than just the non-fermented foods, uh, particular foods for their ready-to-eat fresh foods for, for these four years. And the kind of examples of the things they make are, you know, kefir, kvass, kombucha, mead, um, and, and vegetables, and, you know, kimchi and sauerkraut and stuff like that. The kefir is a, is a milk-based um, substance. The uh, I think the kvass is a... a, 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 a a beet-based uh, beverage. The kombucha is, is another beverage, very very low um, alcohol content. It's not it's not an alcoholic beverage. It's not meant to be, but it does have a. That's part of the. Uh, that's part of the features of its being able to to keep so well. It has a very very low alcohol content, like less than less than half a percent. Uh, in fact, probably quite a bit less. Um, mead, which is which is an alcoholic beverage that, that also keeps well, um, and some of the other stuff like that you mentioned. Uh, Kimchi and uh, sauerkraut-based kind of cabbage-based kind of stuff. Um, so, um, so they uh, they've really been taking advantage of it for you know for that purpose uh, to, to let, allow the food to keep in on shelves and in a cooler in a cool but not a refrigerated environment. So, so uh, why would we even beyond that point? Why would we want to even consider going to the trouble of fermenting the foods and and specifically? Harvesting certain types types of uh, vegetables and, and beverage be- make beverage based uh, uh, or make uh, vegetable based beverages for for long term storage. Why would we even do that? Um, other than just that you can do it yourself. Well, the big reason is the 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 power of the transformation that the food goes through in in the action of the bacteria, the fungi, the yeast, and all this stuff that works on a microscopic the very very low microscopic uh you know chemistry level uh as it's as it's working away uh, does a, a world of good for human digestion it's a it's a um it's a real um i don't know what you you call it you you can buy stuff uh you know bioactants, things that things that, that that commercial things that are made commercially like yogurts and such that are specifically formulated to help with your digestion and to um be an everyday Something you eat to to help settle your stomach and to help your digestion and keep you uh, regular and all that stuff. Well, the the any of these fermented foods will do the same thing and also be offer you a much broader range of food besides yogurt, and um, and has you know other benefits as well. Um, just um, nutrients. Uh, 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 the way I understand it, um, the the action, the fermentation process actually creates. Uh, at a sub-chemical level, creates some um, uh, vitamins, mostly B vitamins, that uh, some of the some of the lesser-known B vitamins that help help with health and digestion, and and uh, even have some uh, potential cancer. Um, I wouldn't say cancer curing properties, but uh, cancer um, um, preventing, uh, maybe maybe uh, not even preventative. But I guess that's the best word I can I can think of. But but um, just you know just things that are just really good for your health, and so. Um, the food will actually go through some some type of a transformative um, change, and um, and it, it brings to the table its own its own um, unique taste and uh, and odor you know flavor and and everything it's a it's a scent I mean it's not it's not uh, it's not unpleasant at all it's a nice uh, you know it's a nice change um, one of the things that uh, that the author had pointed out here is um, uh, fermentation is is uh, known to remove uh, mild and even some strong toxins from certain foods, foods that foods that can develop their own toxins over time um, that you may not eat raw. Normally, wouldn't want to eat raw. You want, you'd want to boil or cook them bef- or, or steam them beforehand, or, or, or some types of foods that will develop uh, internal toxins over over storage time. When you once you ferment them, it removes all this completely from the uh, from the picture. Uh, phytic acid from grain. Um, you know, grains can d- develop an acid over time, which in part, you know, bad taste, and it also is a mild toxin, uh, to, especially to certain individuals. Um, and it can and uh, cassava, which is uh, another you know food that people sometimes you know use for for making in recipes and stuff, that will develop uh, small amounts of cyanide. Actually, small small not not uh, extremely toxic levels, but enough to uh, to be uncomfortable for some people. Um, the fermentation process will remove. Uh, the cyanide uh, ac- action from the uh, from the uh, cassava uh in its in its fermentation so uh you know it's really um uh you know it's really interesting that 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 just that just that process of letting letting the enzymes and the fungi and the yeast and bacteria work on their own has so much um, action and uh, and result on the on the uh, Know, on the food that you know we're we're getting uh, after a, a period of fermentation um and there's a couple of books and i I'll, I'll 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 go over um i don't we don't have time really to discuss you know a lot of a lot of particular references but there are a couple of really good books out there that three or four of them that i could just name um that will uh, you know that will help people uh, gain a little more a little more um on this subject uh, if they want to if they want to refer to them at the library or or order them online or or whatever um, you know, one particular one, especially one that has a lot of uh, a lot of reference to uh, to the health aspects of uh, of fermented foods is uh, it's one called the life bridge and the author's name is paul Sh- uh, schulich and uh, he's done a lot of work and study in this area and uh, it's, it's basically just a just a health oriented look at um, at these what he's calling probiotic nutrients which is basically the fermented uh, fermented foods so that uh, that's called life bridge and that's just a real a real good reference for people who want you know want a little more want to get into it a little more uh by reading it before they give it a shot you know of actually trying anything but um um you know live fermented foods are uh you know these are these are living organisms just like yogurt is um, and it, you know the best way to do it is just do it yourself and so um i di- I didn't realize this even. Or I really didn 't think about it, even when you purchase some yogurts at the store uh they 've been pasteurized after after they're culturing right. so the the, the the bacteria is has essentially been killed so you're removing um you know just a, just as as if you would boil the heck out of out of uh, beans or you know lima beans or or um or or string beans or something like that or you know pole beans if you boil the heck out of them and pour the water out you're you're removing you know half the nutrients in, just in in that um as opposed to steaming or eating or eating them raw, so in in processing the food yourself and 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 creating a fermented food, you're retaining all that all that nutrition plus you're plus you're letting the foods uh, bioactivate I guess and uh, turn themselves into a probiotic form of nutrient, which is uh, you know a, a much better and much better and a much more digestible form of, uh, of food. So so these um, you know old Old timers and even the old—I don't know—you call them cave people or whatever. With the kind of the, in the era when people are just figuring foods out. I mean, these people um, seem to know more than or learned probably learned more than we yeah. realized in their, in their experiments. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go through a few um, a few of the tools you'll need, you know, r- utensils okay. and stuff. Things you'll need to to. Um, to start and then just go through a few recipes and um you know be sort of wrap it up but uh and i'll recommend a couple of books um beyond that because as i said you know we can't really get get too deeply into it but um um, i find it a fascinating subject and i i have actually attended a um a um an event or a a conference actually where where the author of the book uh, gave a gave a, a good hour and 15 minute talk on on this exact subject and does it does it justice so much more than i can i mean he he basically had talked about about just entering the topic with with pure um intent to talk about fermented foods and a few of the foods and just the health aspects of it but and i and i believe it was because he had he had been suffering ha- having some health issues and he he just was looking for healthy foods that he could make himself to guarantee that he wasn't buying something off the shelf that may, that may not be uh, organic or toxic or that may be slightly um Toxic to him, or whatever. What he ended up doing was was meeting probably I, I'm probably not exaggerating probably thousands of people across the world. He ended up making this his his uh, his occupation and living, going around in in writing the books he wrote, in traveling to ver- all cultures all over the world. Because once he started to develop um, recipes and talk up and question people about how they did it. In uh, say Poland or in or in um, Hungary or in uh, or in uh, Latvia or wherever wherever they may have had their own little little recipe for something somebody would get hold of that and say oh my you know my great aunt who's uh, Lithuanian well she does this and he maybe would visit that culture they meet meet more people uh, he'd go and and somebody from Korea would write him and say or call or whatever email him and say you know we. We have essentially the same ingredients, but we do it a different way, and they have their own form of sauerkraut. And anyway, he ended up visiting and, and emailing and conversing and meeting with uh, many, many, many people. And the books are just really, really a good, a good balance of all different cultures, um, all different types of foods, all different methods. And so, um, so there's no one, there's no one way to do it. But if you really like the one way, you do do it, or the one way you learn to do it, then that's fine too. Um, but we can get back to the to the to the vessels now. Um, uh, Alice, who wrote this article for us uh, back home here, she um, she keeps everything very simple. So it's uh, it, you know there's no big expenditure here. There's no um, there's no investment uh, hardly at all. I mean basically stuff you can either have it already or you can you can pick it up uh, at a, a at a yard sale or, or um, at the thrift store. Um, the vessels are really simple. Um, she uses the comp- mostly uses wide mouth. Uh, ball jars or, or the equivalent uh-huh. of a ball jar the care, the care jars um, or whatever um, i would I would definitely stick with the with the uh the kind that are meant for canning because they're they're actually stronger and tougher um you do not obviously do not want to have a chipped have a have a just any old jar that may be more uh, more susceptible to chipping because you don't want to chip an un an unseen chip of glass getting into the into the beverage or the or the food you're making so so I would say stick with the with the canning type wide mouth jars. And the reason we say wide mouth is because they're easier to access and put food into. Um, uh, or you can use a. I know she's got some traditional ceramic crocks. Uh, they can be small or large, but uh, you know small crocks are fairly inexpensive and you can find them um, fairly readily. You know the crocks are the uh, are the pottery style uh, traditional. Um, you know some of them can be colorful, most of them are usually just brown or, or dark or gray, blue, and you know, they could be a little decorative with a ring or something around the top, but they're they're just uh, they're just crock vessels uh, made of clay and uh, and glazed on the outside. Um, you don't want any cracks in your crocks. Obviously, obviously, you do not want any cracks in your uh, in your glass jars, but in the crock, they have to be uh, complete and uh, sound and no no cracks or chips. Uh, you don't want to leak, obviously. So um, you know that that's what you're looking for. And you can go up to the larger vessels like you know sauerkraut. It's more convenient and um, efficient to make it like a big old crock pot. I mean, you know, like a like a three gallon crock or something like that. Um, if you are interested in um, in large batches, you can you can uh, use a food grade um, uh, five gallon bucket, plastic buckets that somebody you can get food grade bucket from from a lot of sources, including bakeries, uh, that that the icing and some other Ingredients are shipped in in um, five gallon resealable buckets. And they're all food grade. You can get one from bee supply, uh, bee and apiary supply. They have they use the five gallon buckets for um, uh, for um, honey, for harvesting honey, and 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 they even have. Uh, you can get them with um, spouts on the bottom, or you can install a spout on the bottom so you can. If you're making a beverage, you'd be, you can you can uh, drain it uh, th- through the spout. Um, but as long as they're clean and food grade and um, and uh can be cleaned without scraping the um the interior liner off and i'm speaking just of the of the uh of the plastic buckets uh they'd be just fine um you can use um anybody who does any home brewing can will understand you can use a a sanitizing um uh powder there's a couple of there's probably about 6 or 7 different sanitizing powders available for the beer brewer and craft brew industry or or anybody who's doing that kind of thing, um, you know, brewers. Uh, there's a brewer's powder. There's a, um, a san- they call it sanitizing powder, sanitizing ingredient, whatever. But but just a just a a sanitizer will clean the inside of any of these vessels. Um, soap and water, even even hot water, sometimes just isn't quite as uh, as effective. Um, uh, but um, you know, generally uh, the um, the fermenter foods can be a little more tolerant but but anyway they have to, they have to be clean and, and ideally they'd be sanitized um what you want to stay away from is metal containers because the acids and the salts in the fermentation process can uh can eat away at the um at the metal in the in the vessel i would i would say huh. definitely say that aluminum aluminum is, is definitely not a good vessel for, for this kind of stuff Stain- <coughs> excuse me stainless steel huh? is stainless steel is Again, we're not really recommending metal, but stainless steel would be more adaptable, more, um, more, more. more um, uh, I don't know what you say. Uh, able to protect itself, you know, it's a, t- it's a tougher metal, and it's a much more, it's much more dense. Uh, uh, it's not going to be effective as much, but it's it's just better to stay away from the metals altogether. Uh, you can use your use your uh, stainless steel vessels, the big ones for for making beer, and and just leave it at that, and don't worry about the fermentation. Um, the other thing you'll need is a, is a wooden pounder, like a um, like a pestle or a, or a potato masher. Some of the old style potato mashers that look like uh, they have a handle on it that look like a you know have like a little can shaped uh, head on them that you just pound uh, pound potatoes with, um, and um, you know it's basically like a like a uh, mortar and pestle kind of pounder. Um, you know you can get bigger ones for this, but uh, what they do is they you can actually use that to crush to crush the vegetables you're, um, that you've cut up, and um, and uh, it pounds, you know, basically pounds the juices out of it. Um, and you can, um, you know, you can make one if you want. I mean, uh, you can get a, you can get a piece of wood and carve it, a, a big piece of branch or, or wood. Um, let it dry and carve it, or you can um, probably easily find one in a, in a thrift store. Um, obviously, if you make your own, you want to get all the bark off of it and let it dry and uh, sand it down and cut it you know, so there's no you don't want any splinters or anything. It has to be smooth. The bottom should be should be uh flat and um, and smooth and sanded and uh, I would say that the roundness of it would probably be about the size of a soup can. Something like that, maybe a little bigger if you wanted, but uh, that's, you know, a good size. Um if you want to make a if you want to make your own you can finish it. Once it's dried and sanded you can finish it to keep it from um uh getting um uh you know, getting uh food uh, you know, getting getting nasty food. You know, actually dissolving within the grains of the wood. If you if you uh, treat it with a, a mineral oil from the a, a human a food grade mineral oil, which is basically available at the drugstore for they use it for all sorts of stuff, but um, you know for uh, laxatives and other things. But it's a food grade mineral oil that's um, that can be rubbed onto the food, and it doesn't get uh, rancid. It doesn't get rancid, so it so it'll uh, it seals the wood, but it doesn't. Um, it doesn't get rancid from the food that's touched it. Um, you'll need a lid for the container, um, some type of a lid that will let a little air in. Um, that can be as simple as a as a cloth cloth filter, or or some kind of a cheesecloth or something that you hold over the lid with a, a rubber band or a or a some type of a you know you could use a velcro strip or a rubber band or a rubber you know rubber or elastic um, strand or something. Um, yeah, it's just the, the air bubbling action has to release gases, but you don't want anything from the outside getting in. Physically, you don't want uh, you know you don't want flies or uh, or um, you know dust or anything to get in while the food's um, or, or bugs crawling in there while the food's um, fermenting. So because uh, you're going to have this on a shelf somewhere where you're not maybe not always going to be right there to look you know to look at it. So uh, um, uh, you just want to keep the dust out and let the fermentation bubbles escape without building up pressure in the in the vessel. Um, you'll need to slice the vegetables up before you pound them, so, uh, just a, just a cabbage slicer. Um, you can use a knife, of course, but it's easier to, um, to look for something like a, like a vegetable slicer of some type to, um, to, um, uh, break down whatever it is, carrots or cabbage or whatever it is, down to, to smaller units or smaller chunks so you can pound them. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure that, um, uh, Using a food, I, I know people have done this. You're using a food prepping machine, uh, some type of a, you know, a food preparation thing, but it may it may make it too much of a makes it too much of a um, of a puree, and you really don't want that. If there's a slicing feature on a machine that will will we'll just cut it into smaller pieces and let it go with that, that you can then pound. That's 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 really what you want, or or a manual slicer. Um, of course, you could need water and the only the only thing I can say about water is that you you really do not want to use water straight from the tap if you're on city water or any other water source that has um, chlorine in it because uh, all the municipal water supplies that i am aware of and you Andy you probably know it better than I <laughs> do about this from your past from your past experience with the with the emergency medical uh stuff mm-hmm. but um mm-hmm. most most water most municipal water has a certain degree of um of chlorine or the or the equivalent uh, of of a, of a uh, sodium hypochlorite, I think it is, that um, isn't there to help disinfect, um, and, and then you can even smell it sometimes. Now you can, if you use tap water, you, you'll, you're going to need to boil it. If you use tap water that has chlorine in it, you're going to need to boil it first and let it sit for, um, I'd say, 12 to 24 hours before you use it, or you or you can just let it sit uh, for a while, and, and those chlor- most of the chlorine is going to come out of it. Uh, by itself, if you let it sit for an hour, I mean for a, for a 24-hour period, for a day, um, it'll just it'll just migrate out. But um, mm-hmm. the reason we're not using chlorine is because chlorine is used mainly its its effect is to kill bacteria, and we want the bacteria in the fermentation process. That's what makes it work. The, bac- the bacteria in the air and in the vegetables and in the process itself is what makes the whole thing work. So we don't want to kill the bacteria. Um, um, and as, as the bacteria is working what 's happening is it is it is killing the it is not allowing the bad bacteria to get a foothold that 's the whole point the, Only the good bacteria is working it 's a stronger bacteria and it's it 's just making the environment so undesirable for the bad bacteria that it never it never gets a, a toehold in the uh, in the process uh, you will need you will need to to find you some salt um, ideally we 'd use a coarse sea salt um, or even a, even a finer sea salt, but if you use sea salt, if you use any salt, it needs to either be a sea salt or um, uh, uh, or a um, like a kosher salt, which is a coarser. You know, sometimes people use in in, in cooking uh, just a coarser salt. Um, so you um, you you're trying to avoid uh, anything with iodine in it. That's that's the other thing is the the, um, the kosher salts and the and the sea salts are not going to have iodine in them uh um they shouldn't have so so just read the labels and make sure that the salt you use doesn't does not have iodine in it um the iodine also will interfere with the um uh, with the microbial um uh activity so you you just want to leave it out there's there's a reason they put they put iodine in there it's mainly for uh for so it doesn't cake in storage and and there's some some degree of iodine's needed in your body so you don't have a goiter um situation but um but uh we don't we do not want iodine in our in our salt for this stuff and sea salt is just a healthier healthier choice um and whey whey is another uh another good a good content to have it's the juice from uh cheese making um it's um uh you know it a lot of the recipes call for a whey uh you know the liquid whey for for, for the process so you you may want to um be aware of that and you can you can find that at the co-op or, or if you have a cheese maker in the in the, in the neighborhood or, or in your area or um, somebody who uses um, you know who makes um, uh, cream cheese or curds or, or other foods that will have whey as a byproduct then you can you get it from, from the source um, and the vegetables that you're going to need are you know very widely um, there is a very wide variety of vegetables uh, you can use in, 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 in all these different kinds of fermented foods Um cabbage i i mentioned uh, uh carrots um there's just you know there's just a lot of a lot of different um mm-hmm. uh things Rab- uh, radishes onions scallions uh ginger is a, is a popular ingredient um, um, you know there's just you know beets i mean there's just a lot of, a lot of the root vegetables are are um, very popular with with their stuff um, the uh, the uh, the other thing is it's it's better to try to get either organic or or non chemically um grown uh veggies in as your as your main ingredient if uh, if you can help it because the uh, you know obviously the organic is going to be more healthy for you but also the some of the chemicals that are that are residual in the in some of the chemically grown stuff may may not be um uh, a real good addition to the uh, for the ferment for the fermentation process uh uh, as I, I mentioned before um but it it'll, it'll pretty much work i mean it it'll work it'll work anyway but it it will work better when there's um when when the food is is uh more organically raised that's, i guess that's the, the best way to put it uh, you you get more of a yield or more of a more of a um, of a uh, conversion uh process if if the food has you know isn't chemically based or purchased so um I don't know if there's any questions in the chat room or anything. I mean uh um, not. I, I just checked the chat room out.
0: No questions currently.
1: Okay. okay. that's good. It's a it's a big topic. I mean most when I first when I first was uh presented with this, somebody had actually come up to me at a food at a foodie conference I was attending with uh, back home and they started to explain this I and mean, then I, I hadn't really I knew I was aware of it but I hadn't really thought about it and when this uh person was explaining to me that they'd like to write an article for us and um and for these these reasons i had so many questions and so many thoughts that i had i really didn't know where to where to start i just i just politely listened and, and then sort of boned up on it but um well i guess at this point we can go um we can go on to um on to go over some of the recipes uh you know me, some of these let are me real take simple a commercial break okay that'd I'll be good yeah we can come and back yeah. go
0: through that and then okay we'll do it that way Okay, awesome, very good. Folks, we're talking with Richard Friedenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. Today we're talking all about fermented foods, a uh, very interesting topic. I know it's a, kind of a hot topic even in the chicken world with people uh, giving their chickens uh, fermented grains and things like that uh, to, to benefit their health. And I uh, just saw a post on Facebook where a young lady is doing that um, as as we speak. So we'll be talking about some recipes in uh, and, uh, and fermented foods, different types of recipes for that when we come back from this short break. So stay with us. When you need an incubator, think Brency, the incubation specialist. Brenzi has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at brency.com. Brincy spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brincy.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg handlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, technology you can trust. You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the Dirty Waterer Zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water. Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap clean water made simple. Visit ChickenWaterer.com to learn more. That's ChickenWaterer.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black and soon pink Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness Order your Hensaver aprons today at Hensaver.com. That's Hensaver.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfge.com. That's w-a-r-e-m-f-g-i-n-c.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. How would you like a punch in the beak? Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whispering. Just a reminder, if you joined us uh, after we had started the show halfway through, or maybe just joining us now, no worries. This show, as all the others, will be archived for your listening pleasure. Normally, about 15 minutes after the end of the broadcast, it will be archived on blogtalkradio.com. And uh, and then probably later this evening, it'll be over at uh, itunes.com if you subscribe to us that way. So uh, you can go back and listen to uh, the entire show uh, if you happen to join us a little bit later. So we are joined today by Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. We're talking all about fermented foods, and we're just starting to get into some specific recipes. Richard
1: yeah, yeah, I just a couple of them here. Um the first one is um is a, a sort of a Korean style sauerkraut or Kore- Korean inspired sauerkraut. Um and uh, you know this particular one uh, she, we did not include the the uh, ingredient we included the ingredients but we did not include the quantities because it really um it's really up to, you know, up to your own taste and also just without um Especially with sauerkraut, some people like to make a, a lot of it, and some and some people may want to just experiment with this a uh, small quantity to see how the to see how the fermentation goes. So I'm I'm going to say the cabbage uh, the cabbage is the, by far the main ingredient, in the largest volume. So I'm just going to say here because I I know I know from having had a conversation that we uh, that we um, you can start with either one large cabbage, just keep it simple with one large cabbage or a couple of small ones, but, um, you know, for a small amount, um, uh, and then the other ingredients are um, a big, a, a daikon a radish, because I mentioned radishes before. The daikon's of big white, you know, those big white uh, radishes. Um, some carrots, uh, onion, scallions, um, ginger, garlic, and then we'll have, to, we'll have to include some salt and whey. Uh, the whey is optional, but, um, but um, you'll, you'll need the salt. And then you can even uh, uh, throw in a few um, red chili peppers or flakes um, or, or process the, um, uh, the chilies in, into flakes. And dry them yourself if you want. But um, that's the, the beauty of the Korean style of sauerkraut. It will, it will be able to absorb a lot of spice so uh, if you like spicy foods, you you, you don't need to be uh, um, holding back on that because the because the uh, uh, the mixture itself will absorb a lot of the heat from it. So you you may not need to be so uh, conservative with your with your spices. And again, this is going to be this is going to be a trial for most people. So you know we can just go through it. Um, you know if you're using a large cabbage, you know your your radish can be. You know, can be most can be the entire radish, and you can use maybe a cup of carrots, and you know, a, a regular onion, you know, medium-sized onion, and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, use your judgment. But basically, you're 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 going to have to grate or slice all the vegetables into uh, one container. Now, I didn't mention the container in in the list of stuff because because everybody's got a bowl or a or a, some type of vessel to do the to do to do the pounding in um, the fermenting. As I mentioned, should not take place in a metal vessel, and certainly not a um, not a aluminum one. But you can use a, a stainless steel bowl to just pound and uh, the, the sliced to, uh, pound and process the sliced um, vegetables, uh, you know, to get them ready for for the recipe. Because it's only going to be in the metal in the stainless steel for you know a little bit while you're while you're doing the, the mashing. Um, you you're going to pound it and and stir it around and uh and you know continue to pound it and just process it with your hands uh mix it up and and bring the larger chunks to the top so you can so you can pound them more and, and re- basically you're trying to get the uh, trying to get the juice as much juice out of the um uh, out of the vegetables as you can and uh, and break down the break down the um the meaty part of the veggie so you, so it'll make it easier for the fermentation to take place so after you've pounded and stirred and pounded and stirred and got it to as much as you can you can stand of, of that, um, you know. Make sure they're all stirred up, and uh, and you can use the and add the um, add the spices and the salt, um, and then the whey, if you if you're going to include the whey. you don't need to. Uh, maybe for the first trial, for most people you don't really need to worry about it. Um, with all that mixed in, you'll be continuing to pound the mixture. Um, you can squeeze. You can use your hands uh, to to squeeze um, to squeeze the cabbage and the and the uh, Spices and, and salt and everything, uh, just to just to uh, press it even more. Um, one of the things I didn't mention um, how much salt because that is you know that is uh, uh, sort of important. You don't want to uh, you, you do need salt in the in the recipe, but you don't want to oversalt it. Um, uh, the guideline that uh, Alice gives here is is um, is one uh, one tablespoon per normal sized cabbage, so. If you want to put it in a tablespoon and a half for a large cabbage, or t- two for two for or almost two for two cabbages, that's that's probably about right. Um, but um, uh, what you're doing is is, is uh, pounding and 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 squeezing and pounding and just and just repeating all this stuff, and with the salt included, the uh, the salt will help break down the mixture, and it it will actually start to um, change the the, the fibrous salad materials into a juicier, softer sauerkraut consistency. So you're going to have a, a spicy brine, of uh, vegetable material, and liquid um, in your bowl. And from there, you want to transfer the mixture into your into your fermenting container, which, as I said, could be uh, a couple of wide-mouth mason jars or a vessel like um, like a crock croc vessel or um, or whatever you're, you're going to use. You'll then press the uh, the, the kraut down in into the bottom of the vessel so that the juices come and cover all the all the material itself all the shreds of, of material and um and you may have to end up you know that'll eventually in the beginning especially it'll, it'll float the uh the uh cabbage and other veggies will, will tend to float to the top so you'll need to push down again just to make sure that that juice gets absorbed and is uh is covering all the uh, all the uh, vegetable material um Continually, so at, at a point to which the to which that material is, is covered, the vegetables are covered by the liquid. Then you'll want to cover that uh, fermentation vessel with um, with your cheesecloth or your or your uh, whatever it is kind of cloth that you're you know you're using the uh, uh, cl- the coffee filter type cloth or, or whatever it is the fine the fine uh, weave um, whatever cloth you're using and, and make sure it's sealed or tightened onto the lid there with a uh, or into the jar with a uh, rubber band or something like that. And what you'll do is you'll keep it at room temperature um, for up to a week. About a week is good. Um, just uh, uh, you know, not in the, not in direct sunlight. Uh, keep it off to the side. Um, not too cool, but not not in in a uh, you know, an extremely hot environment. Just let it sit and do its thing. It's it's going to you know, it's just going to work and 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 ferment from the natural yeasts and and um, bacteria that it has to work with in the foods and the sugars in the food, it'll actually start to uh, ferment itself and in about a week or so and this this will change with depending on the on what you're making, but within a week or so with this particular sauerkraut um, it will uh, it will actually be okay to taste it and see what happens. If um, if you taste it too early it's not really going to be right and you'll, you know, let it sit longer. If you if you uh, um, wait too long it's not gonna do a whole lot more because what you 're going to do is what you 're going to end up doing is just um, it's just when you're satisfied with the uh, consistency and the taste uh, you'll, um, you 'll just move the whole the whole container to a a cooler spa, a cooler spot that doesn't have um, that, that does not have any sunlight at all to it or you could even put it in the refrigerator and just let it continue its work there it'll continue to break down um, maybe soften up the uh, the uh, vegetables a little more, but it'll continue to break down and, and, and work. Um, how long the material keeps really depends on how much it's fermented, and, and, that, and that depends on what types of food you use in the process. So there's no real guidelines on that other than what you may read about in, you know, in, in the other articles or in, in the books you might you might look at. But, you know, the sauerkraut is a, um, it's a spicy sauerkraut, and it's a really good starter um, recipe for that kind of thing. Uh, the other one she mentions here is the sweet and sour ginger carrots, which is um, the same process uh, as for the uh, as for the sauerkraut I mentioned, except you're just going to be using ginger and uh, and carrots. And this one does have some quantities. You've got uh, four cups of grated carrots, and just grated with a food grater or, or a hand grater, um, uh, one tablespoon of grated ginger, one tablespoon of salt, and four tablespoons of whey. And um and just follow the uh, follow the the beating and and hand squeezing instructions with the same in the in the processing container and, and, and uh and then transferring to the fermentation container and keep the keep the same time frame. Just basically uh you know, four, five days to a week, um, covered and then and then uh carry it to a cool place and let it continue or put it in the refrigerator and you can and you can uh, uh eat it from, from there. Um The final one I'll mention here is is just a beverage. It's a very refreshing uh, drink made from uh, a couple of beets. Uh, Three medium beets or two large beets that are uh, peeled first, and then um, uh, some water and a quarter cup of whey and one tablespoon of sea sea salt. So you'll basically want to prepare the beets by... um, Peeling them and then chopping them into quarter-inch cubes, like uh, a sort of a small potato salad size. Um, uh, put them in, into your uh, large mason jar and then uh, uh, add the one tablespoon of salt and, um, and the one quarter cup of whey. And then just fill the container. Uh, if you use a half-gallon container, just fill the container um, to the neck, not to the very top, but to the neck with um, with um, uh, water that is not chlorine. Uh, based, in other words, either either well water or purchased water, but nothing with chlorine in it, and then um, and just mix the whole thing up, and after two or three days, um, it'll be it'll be ready to drink, and then it, uh, you can put after that you can put it in the uh, in the refrigerator, and you can a way to go. You can if you if you want to protect it from uh, dust and outside um, insects or whatever, just uh, you can just cover it loosely with a with a cloth of some type, and it'll it'll allow the uh, um, Gases to escape while not letting anything in, but um, you know a lot of these foods don't sound all that appealing, but they are um, <laughs> all, all recognizable foods. And you know, we, I have actually had people looking at the book, uh, what we 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 have sold the books and looking at the, um, reading through the recipes at the book table, and saying, well, this isn't this isn't you know kimbuchi, this is this is uh, you know lakpani, and you know <laughs> it's the same thing except in you know, in, in Romania wherever their wherever their grandma came from and they'd make it at home, that's that's what they called it. And um, you know, they recognize the recipe. So um so it's really not it may not be it may not sound all appealing, but I think it's it's really, um it's really worth a uh, worth a shot, especially since there's so little investment with this kind of thing. I mean it's not like um it's not like say even making beer where you really do have to have, you know, certain things and some equipment and whatever, and you can spend a little money this is like almost zero expense because you have you pretty much have everything already there um, and I, I just before i uh, I get off I just want to um, just want to mention you know that one book I already did mention, but the another one um, is called nourishing traditions and the author's name is sally fallon um that's a you know that's a good book because it, it's a, it's also um, a, a a decent historical uh, and and um uh, Sort of uh, region-based or or, uh, or um, culture-based uh, look at, at different how different kinds of peoples uh, uh, fermented their foods, and the and and the, my favorite book is called Wild Fermentation by the author I had mentioned before who does a lot of speaking. Uh, Wild Fermentation is is actually the first fermentation book by the author Sandor Katz. It's K-A-T-Z, just like um, you know, just like the, uh, normal spelling cat of uh, name cats. Uh, that was his first book. It's the reason I picked that one is because it's 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 cheaper. It's 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 easier to get through. Um, uh, I'm not going to say it's better because that's a matter of opinion. But it's a it's a smaller book. It's it's readily available, still in print, um, and it's um, you know I found it uh, myself. I found it a better introduction. His second book, which is called The Art of Fermentation, is a forty dollar book new. And it is a bigger book and a, and a much more thorough book, and it goes into a lo- has a lot more information on historical values, different cultures, and and um, different breaking down different kinds of recipes into further things. But for someone to start out, and, and I think even even being the only book you'd need, the wild fermentation is probably my, my choice, and I
0: think people can find that pretty easily. Is that something kind of like I mean, when I was doing some look up of history and. Um, for a different topic, and when really most people in America had electricity. Um, You know, it's like there's it really like the big, big major towns, you know, obviously before, but I think that most of Americans in the 1930s ended up getting some type of electricity run uh, to their home before the, re- the refrigerator. You know, we had ice boxes and things like that. So, um do you... This, I guess, was this more uh, even in, in, in America. I know you hear about like you're saying, oh, this was from the old world, and, and this is a soup we made, or this was something we fermented, this that or the other. Um, was fermentation was it really popular here in the states long before the, the 30s as well? I mean, you hear about people like um, having the, the here in the south. You've got the uh, well, that's that's my. Great grandpa's old uh, uh, meat shed, where they would hang meat or pork or whatever the case may be, that type of thing. Um, was this something that was more um, uh, used elsewhere, or is there a, a pretty big history of it in, in America as well for mitting before before we had the it, electricity? There, w-
1: there was, yeah, there was, and I think I think what's what's happened is, and I, this is this is a guess, but it's an educated guess. I think what uh-huh. you're going to find is um, in culture, where there tended to be large concentrations of a certain ethnic culture, you're going to find it was much more common. Like in the like in the South, for example, the culture is going to be more, you know, much more overwhelmingly English and say Scots Irish. You know, real, wow. realistically, I mean, so the English and Scots Irish didn't have a, a deep, a deep uh, recipe culture of of fermented foods, I mean, maybe sauerkraut and maybe certain cabbage kind of stuff, but for the most part, you know, not so much. I mean, their, their, their historical um, background is going to be more with maybe salted meat or smoked meat okay. stuff like that. That's another way of keeping food, you know. Um, yeah. Whereas in, say, in, in Chicago or in St. Louis or in Pittsburgh or in, um, uh, you know, I can think of other places where there'd be, you know more Eastern European cultures, and and maybe in San Francisco and 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 places where there'd be more uh, Asian cultures like Korean, Korean and Chinese, they have their own way of doing it, but they will have a strong fermentation, uh, and I know I know for a fact this is true, a uh, very strong f- fermentation um, history that they can draw on, and in Chicago they will, uh, you know the Polish and the and the uh, and the Hungarians and the and the um you know the the uh, czechoslovakians and the and the baltic countries you know they 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 have their own you know they're all they all sort of tended to everybody tends to, to to congregate in their own little neighborhoods so in those places it was you know real common whereas we're asking the question say say uh say yourself or or anybody who's in a rural- rural southern community maybe just doesn't have that uh-huh. kind of that kind of background but they have their own tradition and I would say I would say here I mean I know here in the mountains salt you know salt pork uh, things were heavily salted and things were um, were smoked to keep it to keep them and canned you know to keep them uh, to keep them edible at the end of the winter you know to keep things through the winter all harvested at the end of the summer and the early fall and then and then processed and then kept through to the you know to the next year so you could eat over the winter and um, that's pretty much how it was and you know we, there's a couple of books we sell on, on, this, on this topic that uh, cover all this, but salting, smoking, fermentation, uh, turning things into alcohol, very, very traditional way of, of keeping apples and grains and, uh, and other, other things that wouldn't normally keep forever. Um, you just turn it into a beverage, and then it's saleable. It's, it's, it's automatically convertible into, into, uh, into money or into something that you can keep um, so it, you don't have to worry about it spoiling, and that's um, you know essentially the idea of taxing that was was horrible. It's like it's like taxing our our it's like you know that's how we live, we eat, and now you're telling us we have to be taxed on eating. <laughs> and that yeah. you know there's the, a the, the huge uh, Pennsylvania rebellion back in the uh, around George Washington's time that um, that uh, the idea of uh, taxing the liquor was like that was their cash. That was the only way they they didn't have. Spendable money that far in the frontier, which in those days was the frontier. You know, Pittsburgh was the frontier. You know, and um, anyway, the, uh, there are many, many ways to preserve foods and keep them over the over the uh, months. And um, fermentation is just one of them. But uh, you know, to answer your question, yeah, some in some circles, in some regions, uh, it's a very common thing, and in some in some it isn't as common. But I think sauerkraut is probably the most common you know, in all the cultures. The most common way to thing to look at that would be
0: fermentable. And my last question, and we'll wrap it up: Is there any? Um, I don't. I don't want to use the word anyway. Not danger or health risk for doing it wrong. Like, I, like for for a long time, I'm you know, and I hear, still hear people, "Oh, I would love the can, but I'm afraid I'll get botulism. I'm afraid I'll do it wrong, and then it won't seal correctly or something, and I'll eat it and I'll poison my whole family and things like that." Even though you know how many times I did grandma, you know that type of thing, um, that's still in a lot of pe- in the back of a lot of people's heads. With something like this. Um, and this totally off the wall, but like dehydrating. When we, do, when we 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 dehydrate foods, I'm like, there's not really a, a good guide that I've found. So it's like, uh, I think it's done long enough. And if it's not, and you know, we'll see how the moisture comes back into it after a, a day or two. You know, so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to just, you know, I'm gonna do it for ten hours, even though six is okay, just to make sure. But but with something like uh, the fermenting, is there a, a, a quote unquote? A risk if if you, know, you do it too long, not long enough, somewhere in between, where it will go rancid or something, or that just doesn't seem to be a, an issue?
1: Um, I think I think the process, the the temperatures we're talking about, and the um, and the process and the covering with the with the, with the cloth, and just the fact that we're putting in the salt, all that mm. is encouraging only the healthy bacteria, yeast, and whatever to process. And once it starts turning. Once it starts fermenting and basically turning into a weak alcohol, that's killing the bad stuff. I I, I would probably be wrong in saying there's absolutely zero danger to it. Right. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that's not the thing to say, but i uh, I I I believe the process is really highly discouraging of of anything awful happening. And if it if it were to, I think it would the odor, you know, the the, the fact oh, of it going rancid would be so would be so obvious that you wouldn't you'd know not to. Not to eat it because if it's if it's working correctly, yeah. it might be unique and unusual, but it's not going to be awful. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be you know a, um, like yeah. a botulism or something like that. I mean, it just isn't. It doesn't encourage that kind of thing because you know my understanding is the salt and the and the yeast eventually creating uh, bubbling in alcohol. Uh, and when I when I say alcohol, I don't I don't want people to think this is a you know this is a alcoholic beverage. I mean, you can make alcoholic beverages. With some of the recipes, so that's not really what it is. Wow. It's just a very, very mild alcohol. Um, um, you know, the process is, is ge- ge- basically generating a small amount of alcohol, and that's just that's that's what keeps it. That's what keeps it. I mean, that's that's how it works. Um, I don't think anybody would be put off by. Uh, I mean, even somebody who is a strict teetotaler, and for for either health or or um, religious observation re- reasons, would be put off by the degree of uh, of alcohol here. In fact, I can like I know. I know I can say that there's a, a kimbuchi. There's a there's a in in our, our town just north of here, a- Asheville, North Carolina. There's a couple. There's a small company that makes that makes a fermented beverage that's very popular, and they actually sell it. You know, and all that. The city, uh, I'm not sure if it's the city or the state, but the the beverage commission uh, actually made them stop. Um, sales temporarily because they they said they had discovered that it, or read some you know I don't know how, how it happened somebody maybe complained but they said it actually involves some degree of alcohol well they well they did it I guess they did a testing of the material and uh, and with the support of the owners of the company they established that there was such a small amount that it was it fell well below the the limits for um, for any kind of control at all so they just put it, they just let them go back on the shelves and you know some other foods have I mean vanilla that we put in our in our baking, has alcohol in it. I mean you know but again yeah, yeah. We, that was
0: actually mentioned on on Wednesday show about um, uh, essential oils and how you have uh, some are not 100% oil It's like the oil and then it's it has a has a filler in it and a lot of times yeah. that may be alcohol and that vanilla was mentioned yeah. you know you think you put the vanilla in your baking a cake or cookies or something and if you look at the ingredients it's you know a, a lot of it it's, a, it's it's the vanilla is held in this alcohol solution <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah there's always a party pooper, oh my gosh, this is a popular <laughs> drink. They're making money. I need to go tell the government. oh yeah, my. that could have been it. i
1: don't remember the detail, but that that's you know and they and they, they went through this thing and they and they
0: backed off you know it was it was good. And that's good. Well, that's uh that's awesome. There's only two questions that I had, but it's, uh, what a great show, what a great topic. Very under- I know it's a hot topic now. I know again, a- amongst uh, a lot of chicken owners about, you know, fermenting the the food for their chickens and and uh, like we said in the beginning of the show, you know, first thing most people think of is sauerkraut and and then uh, maybe even some old world recipes like you were talking about. So we covered a lot of information in in this uh, uh in this show and I think it'll benefit a lot of people. And uh, this is in the most recent um, uh, magazine of, of um, Back Home Magazine, correct?
1: Actually, actually, it's the May-June issue. It's the, it's the one prior to the most recent one. So uh,
0: okay.
1: it's, um, it's May-June
0: number 130. Okay, perfect. May-June uh, number 130. And um, you love it when Richard's here, folks, and uh, all the information he brings, and the majority of all this comes directly from his publication, Back Home Magazine. And uh, you can get that delivered right to your front door um, six times per year. Very, very affordable, um, time-proven, uh, 20-something years that has been published. And uh, you can buy uh, go back and buy one issue. You can buy them all. I think even now um, you've got them on, on CD or a lot of them on on yep. our CD yeah, we catalog. Have yeah, we have the whole DVD set available all the way
1: from issue 30, uh, 38 up to current, um, and uh, you can order them, or, or order the real, the real physical back issues from us uh, at eight hundred nine nine two two five four six, or at backhomemagazine.com. dot com.
0: That's perfect. Alrighty, and you know, when you call, you'll talk to a real person that speaks English in North Carolina, and uh, that's they'll right. Be to, they'll be happy to take your order. Richard, always awesome to have you on. Always great topics. I did get the uh, the topics uh, sent to me. Let me share with our listeners now what we have. coming up soon. Let me go and find out. Click on this. Here we go. Uh, We've got stopping household mold um, on the 24th August of pots in the garden and uh, choosing a veterinarian and then herbal oil which is going to be interesting on September 11th coming up. So that will be, and that was from uh, uh, number 35. So that was, I'm guessing, quite a while ago. Yeah, yeah, that was I believe I, I I forget when
1: I put the list together, but I'm sure that was an older article that we you know our information is is sort of most of it's timeless it doesn't like I like I yeah. tell our readers chickens don't have not changed since that I'm aware of <laughs> chickens have not changed since 1990 <laughs> when we started the magazine so all the articles <laughs> are still good you know?
0: that's that is exactly right and um, yeah chickens have been surviving for about 8,000 years uh, without heaters in their coops. And uh, (laughs) I was not going to beat that dead horse. But, but yeah, so BackHomeMagazine.com, folks. And uh, Richard joins us the second and fourth um, uh, Thursday of every single month. So, Richard, thank you very much for joining us. Great topic, great information, we thanks. And we'll see you next time. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. Alrighty, that's going to wrap up another episode of Backyard Poetry with the Chicken Whisperer. It's always great when, when uh, uh, Richard's on because the, the information is just it's, it's so interesting uh, all the time, whether you live sustainably, you want to live sustainably, you live on a homestead, uh, regardless. It's, it's useful information that you can use today, this afternoon, if you want to go start fermenting some food. There you have it. So uh, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you have a wonderful weekend with family and friends. We'll return Monday with Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, and uh, we'll be talking about uh, maybe some reasons why your hens don't lay when it gets hot or cold, and, uh, and the reasons why, not just hot because we're in the summer, but hot and cold. What, what may make those hens just say, nope, not laying, sorry, sucks for you. <laughs> so thank you very much. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here. Um, Uh, on Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. God bless everybody.